You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Here, uh, my name is Cody. Um, I, um, I, I grew up just right down the road on Oliver Road. As a matter of fact, when I was coming home last Sunday um, from Denton, Texas, from worshiping with Tanner and Lauren Britt, um, which I think some of you know, um, I uh, came home and I thought, I'm going to go up Old Highway 81 on the way, on the way back. So I just peeled off there at Comanche, came up. I said, I'm just going to go ahead and turn down Oliver Road and went down Oliver Road. And i got to tell you, um, that road is a lot smaller than what I remember it growing up. And then I went on down to where I grew up on LaRousse, which now they've changed the name of it. Now they just call it LaRue. I don't know who in the world thought it would be all right to just change the name of my street that I grew up on. But they did it, and they didn't ask me, so I can't do anything about it. Went down that road, and that road got even smaller. Like, I don't even know if that road will show up on Google Maps now. It's like a goat path. I cannot believe I grew up. Um, it's so, it, it, but it seemed ginormous when I was, when I was there. So, anyway... Um, here, I, y'all have been in, in the book of Exodus. Most of you have probably known the story, so, but I'm, in case you're, you're new here, and I don't know who's new and who's not, I'm going to kind of catch us up and bring us up to speed on where we're at in the Exodus story. All right? So God has created a people for Himself. He's multiplied that people. He multiplied that people in the land of Egypt. They moved down there, a family of 12 brothers and their children. They moved down to e- Egypt through all kinds of crazy circumstances, they, they are put in the land of Goshen, and they multiply greatly. And then there arises a Pharaoh who does not know Joseph, who was one of the brothers, which was how they got in there in the first place. And they start being persecuted. And then in, in the early chapters of the book of Exodus, it says that the children of Israel, that their cry rose up before God. It doesn't say that they cried out to God, and that's something that you really need to focus in on, because It's not so much that God's children are faithful to God as much as it is God who is faithful to His children. It's God who keeps the covenants. We're told to keep the covenants and we do a terrible job at it. Okay? And if you're sitting here thinking, no, I do a good job at it, you don't even know what you're doing. I'm just telling you. You don't keep the covenants very well. We don't keep them very well. And we're going to see this, that even after God's mighty act of deliverance, after God's mighty act of salvation, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing an entire nation, the world's superpower at that time, to its knees, killing its leader, all of its army, swallowing it up in the water, like we read about earlier out of 1 Corinthians 10, then they come to the place of Sinai. And Moses is gone a little bit longer than he's supposed to be. And the children of Israel, who God has just delivered, whom He's just told them, don't worship any other gods, they, they make a golden calf and they start worshiping it. And dancing around it, acting like crazies. And God says, Moses, you got to get down there. I'm about to wipe them out. Moses goes down. God relent, Moses prays this incredible intercessory prayer, which is a foreshadowing, points us to Jesus. God relents, does not bring destruction onto His people, saves them, gives them another set of tablets. 
They camp out at Sinai. Now they've left Sinai where they've been for about a year. And they are three days. They are three days past Sinai where God has reestablished the covenant saying, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And this is how you're supposed to live. Here's the Ten Commandments. They're three days. Don't get this lost on you. Three days past this. And we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 11. And it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Well, how many misfortunes did they have in that three days? They haven't even started the family vacation yet. You know what I mean? Like how many misfortunes did they have? The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. And Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that the name, so, so the name of that place was called Terabah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. I'm just going to pause right there. I, I know that you probably have somebody that you would consider to be the rabble. And it might be you. There's a reason why it doesn't tell us name by name who the rabble was. That's for you to figure out. Are you one of the rabble? Some of the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. The people of Israel also wept again and said, and this is, the, this is kind, of the, kind of the specific part of the, where we see the complaint. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look like. Or to look at. So, that's, that's the stage for what is going to follow. Now, there's a couple of things wrong with this complaint that we're going to get into here in a minute. But, I, but before we get into that, I, I want to ask the question, why do we complain? Let me ask you, before we go to that, what are you complaining about right now? What is that thing that you gripe about, you murmur about, you complain about? And I'm not saying that you've got to be... You're probably not like this rabble that's right here. But there's something that... We're a complaint. We do complain. We are discontent. We are envious. Because that's what complaint is. The reason we complain is because envy. We envy something. We're not happy with what we have. We envy something that someone else has. And why do we envy? Well, we envy because we're discontent with the provision that God has given us. And ultimately, ultimately, we're discontent because at some level, we've rejected God. Even as His people, we have a sinful nature and that doesn't go away. It mars things. And so the work of the Spirit in in working on us is through the covenant, through the blood, through the Spirit, is is rooting that out, repenting and dying to ourselves, dying to our envy, dying to our complaint, dying to our discontent, and cherishing the provision that God has given. 
So one of the easiest ways, and we could probably stop the sermon right here, but I'm going to go ahead and take all my time. Make a list of things that you're thankful for and rehearse those. Write them down on cards, write it down on a piece of paper. If you have a complaining, envious, discontent spirit, just start rehearsing what you're thankful for. The, the thing that I taught my kids, and I love the fact that we've got all these kids. By the way, if I could get the kids in our church to be as well behaved as this, we wouldn't have kids' church. I, but I'm dealing with a bunch of people that aren't even used to coming to church. They're used to, I mean, it's like this, you know, you know, they're like cage-free kids. You know, they just run everywhere. So anyway, so we, we have to have cages at our church. So, um, but, uh, but, we, but, if, but one of the things that I taught my kids was Jesus, thank you. Which even if that's not, even if you don't pray anything else, that's a really good prayer. Uh, see there, I, I made one mention of the kids and it got that one upset. <laughs> My bad. That's, that's, all my, that's on me, Frank. That's all on me. So my apologies. Please give your wife, Karis, my condolences. So, all right. But, uh, but yeah, so being a child of God does not make you immune to this kind of complaint. It didn't make the children of Israel immune from it. There were three days past Sinai where the covenant was reestablished. They had seen God do incredible works, incredible miracles, and they're still complaining. At the deepest level, our complaint and this is kind of a good thing. At, our, at, at a deep level, our complaint recognizes that things aren't as they should be. And so that, there's something redemptive about our complaining. We're like, oh, okay, this is a fallen world. And, you, and, and there is a way that you can look at the way things are and say, yes, I, it's a fallen world. And then you can turn that into a prayer to God and you can run run to that instead of putting the focus on self. But that's not what the children of Israel do. C.S. Lewis says this. says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's part of the redemptive part of our complaint. Recognizing that the world is not as it should be. But also, our desires are mixed with sin. Jonathan Edwards says this, says that sin turns the heart into a fire. He goes on to exp- Tim Keller goes on to explain this. He says, there's never been a fire that has said, enough fuel, I'm satisfied now. Fire's not like that. It just takes more and more and more. And there's never been a sinful heart that has said, I've had enough success, I've had enough love, I've had enough approval, I've had enough comfort. The more fuel you put into a fire, the higher it burns and the more it needs and the more oxygen it's sucking, the more fuel it has to have. It's the same way with with our hearts. John Calvin says that the heart is a, the human heart is an idol factory. It doesn't matter what idol you smash, it will create another one. It just continues. And so we're in this place of where we have to say how do we how do we manage this as a child of God? How do I manage my complaint? Well, the first thing is you have to identify what is that thing that you are complaining about? What is that thing that you find yourself that's nagging you, that you just, it just comes up over and over and over. Identify it. The next time you're crabby, the next time you're grumpy, the next time you're irritable, the next time you're scared to death, really scared, the next time you're in the pits, you're depressed, ask yourself, what am I telling myself would make me happy if only I had it? That's a good thing to do, is just go ahead and fill this blank in. If you take notes, say, if I had blank, I would be happy. 
And then this week at Life Group or over the dinner table, talk about that thing. And talk about why you think that thing is, is, is bringing you so much hope. And then also maybe go ahead and talk about with people that you know and love and trust, how will that thing probably eventually let me down? But identifying it. You see, in the text here, it's identified for us. What do the children of Israel want? They want meat. Now here's where it gets twisted. Look at what they said in verse uh, 5. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Now there's something to pause about. Really? That fish cost nothing. You were slaves. It cost you your lives. The leeks and the melons, and I've got to be honest with you. You know, the fish and the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic... That sounds like a pretty good spread. That sounds like a really nice, like, CrossFit diet. It's great, you know. They didn't say anything about biscuits, uh, so I, you know. And they didn't say anything about gravy, but I, it's probably healthy. You know, it's, it's a pretty good spread. But the, but the illusion that they're in is like, it costs nothing. Yes, it does. And that thing, whatever it is in that blank, you may think that it costs nothing. It does. It does cost. And it would do you well to try to name it. And if you can't come up with the cost of it, I bet God knows what it is. You ought to ask Him. I promise you He knows. So, if I only had blank, I would be happy. What do you put in that blank? Identify it. Now, verses 7 and 8 and uh, 9 tell us what the manna was. Now, we have to go back to this and say, well, why is is this manna? Because in verse 6, he says, now our strength is dried up. There's nothing at all but this manna to look like. Do you see the discontent with God's provision? There's nothing but this manna. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Samwise in Lord of the Rings when they're ascending to Mount Doom and they're hungry and they, all we have is this Limbus bread. Which it's good bread. It's, I, I think, I think J.R. Tolkien is totally saying Limbus is like the manna. I, I just think that it's, it's sustainable. It's, it's something that they can't do on their own. It's something that the elves provided for them. The elves are kind of like the heavenly type thing. I mean, it's, you know, I'll, I'll digress. Peyton, you can correct me if I'm wrong on all this because Peyton reads all that stuff. But, there, you know, look, more Limbus bread. Oh. We have more Limbus bread. It's kind of like that. They just, there's nothing but this manna. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. I want to move back down to get into the rest of the, of the text. Verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. The anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. I mean, can you just imagine the, the, the scenario? All of them. Which is at least 100,000 people. It may be a million people. Everybody at the door of their tent, wailing, weeping. God's mad. Moses ain't happy. It sounds like some of y'all Sunday mornings coming to church, doesn't it? Kids are screaming. 
Dad's mad sitting in the car. Mom ain't happy. It's, I mean, it's like, what kind of dysfunctional family is this? And so we move from the complaint of the followers. Now we move into the complaint of the leader. This is the, this is the mediator. This is Moses who stands between God and the people, who represents God to the people and represents the people to God. And this is the guy who just before in the book of Exodus, he has laid his life down. He has said, Lord, if you wipe them out, strike me. What is God going? What will the Egyptians say about you? I mean, it's an incredible act of intercession on Moses' part. He is shining at that point as a leader back in Exodus. But he didn't do good here. So we move from the complaint of the follower, now we move into the complaint of the leader. You see, the people, the followers, they were discontent with the provision of God. And the leader we're going to see here with Moses, he's discontent with the people of God. With the people that God has given, with the task that God has given him. Now, I want to ask you something. How many of you are, you, you wrestle with, or you have wrestled with, or you are wrestling with the task that God has handed to you right now. That's a hard place to be. And Moses is right there in the thick of it. So let's just take and and kind of break this down a little bit. Because he's going to go, Moses is just going to go on this tear. He's just going to be speaking. And God isn't going to say a whole lot. Now right there I ought to give you a clue. If you're talking more than God is, you probably ought to stop. Because Moses gives five questions, he makes one statement of fact, he gets to one conclusion, and then he gets to one really, really bad request. Let's go ahead and look at this. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and they say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Happy Pastor Appreciation Month. (laughs) You know? I mean, he's in a bad way. He's tired. He's frustrated. The people are, are weeping. He don't know what to do. So let's... Verses 11 through 13 are the questions. Here's what I would say to you. Pay attention to the questions that you ask of God. What questions are you asking Him? What are you bringing before Him? What, you know, and are any of your questions sounding more like a litigator? Because Moses' questions do. It's almost as if Moses has this lawyer type approach. And he's just, I mean, you can't help but miss. It sounds a lot like accusation. And some of our questions, 
sometimes in our lives really do sound more accusatory toward God. Do you come across in your prayer sometimes like a litigator? And here's the crazy thing. All of Moses' questions seem to revolve around the people of God that he is called to lead. The task that he's been given. But here's the crazy thing. It seems like that. But it doesn't really revolve around the task that God has given him. It really doesn't revolve around the people that God has called him to lead. It revolves around him. Which makes Moses a lot like the people. Five times in all of those questions, he mentions them, the people. And seven times, he mentions himself. Listen to some of the questions. Why have I not found favor in your sight? Did I conceive this people? Did I give them birth? Where am I to get meat? It's a very, it, it, he's using this first person pronoun. It, it's very me centric. And praise God that God is patient. So those are the five questions. The statement of fact is found in the last part of 13. The people are weeping and asking for meat. That is true. They are. It's not, a bad, it, it, it's not necessarily bad to be able to state accurately what the situation is. What is actually going on. This is what I'm dealing with. He does that. Here's a leadership tip for those of you that are parents, if you're uh, elders, if you're leading any kind of team, if you're a boss, you don't have to give people everything they want. You as parents know this, right? Matter of fact, if you give the child every way, everything that they want, you're going to ruin them. You're going to break them and you're going to break the world around you. You can't do that. But here's the thing. If you are insecure as a leader, you will feel a deep compelling to give them what they want. I deal with this. Now, if you're a narcissistic leader, you won't feel compelled to give them anything. But if if you're an insecure leader, you'll feel compelled to do this. And I think Moses, for all of Moses' triumph, I think he was an insecure leader. And God used him anyway. Where was his... Ins- I mean, we see it. If we go back, he goes, I, God, I don't talk well. I don't know about this. I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, he tries to talk God out of calling him, right? We go on to the conclusion. The conclusion, this is the high point. This is the best thing Moses says. Verse 14. I am not able to carry this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And it's almost as if you can see God in the background going, Yes! Yes! You got it! That's what I've been trying to tell you! And then Moses didn't shut up. If you'll treat me like this, kill me! No! No! Stop! You should have stopped at 14. You should have never said 15, Moses. Stop it! (laughs) But how many times... 
do we do this in our complaining? We get to the truth through all of our prayer, all of our wrestling with God. We get to the truth and then we try to come up with our own solution rather than sitting quietly and sitting patiently and waiting on the Lord and waiting for His solution. Because we see it in the text. God had a solution. He said, appoint 70 elders. Have a plurality of men. I'm going to take some of the spirit that I've put on you and I'm going to put it on those guys. Shoulder the load. Spread it out. I've got this thing worked out. God's solution was better than Moses' proposal. And I'm telling you that in your complaint, whatever you're wrestling with right now, whatever you're bringing before the Lord, if you can get to the truth, if you can get to the right conclusion and recognize who God is, who you are, name the situation, and then just stop. And don't come up with your own solution. Wait on the Lord. He's got a good one. But if you run out ahead of Him, you're going to be on your own. So here's a solution. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, you know, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers among them. Bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand there with you, and I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not have to bear it yourself alone. Great. Well, he's going to need it because... Because, then, because God's going to answer the people and He's going to give them what they want. He's going to send them quail and they're going to get so sick of it that they're going to start puking it and it's going to, it, quail meat is literally going to come out of their nose. I know we got kids in here, but I figured that's why I said it was for the kids. That's fun to think about. Quail meat coming out of your nose, right? The whole story doesn't end well. God's like, you have rejected me. I'm going to give you that thing that you asked for until you physically are going to reject it. And to teach you that to depend upon me. That whatever that you're asking for is ultimately going to leave you just as discontented, if not more so, than the state that you're in right now. So what are your questions right now. Before we get into the provision, maybe we'll go back. What are those questions that you're asking God right now? What are you asking God to do? What are you scared of currently? Take them to the Lord. The good thing about Moses is that he takes them to the Lord. We see in Moses' relationship that he had the boldness to intercede back in Exodus, and now he has the boldness even to accuse. I'm not saying that you should make a habit out of accusing the Lord. I'm saying you should try to avoid that at all cost. But don't try to avoid it at, all co- at the cost of never going to Him at all. Go to Him. Go to Him. And don't hold back on the emotions that accompany the questions. It's alright to cry in front of God. It's alright to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. But pause. And before answering your own questions, pause and let God speak. So, God says to Moses, you got one thing right, you're not able to carry this burden all alone. The burden's too heavy for you. Gather 70 men of the elders. Let them stand with you. I'll take some of my spirit. I'll put it on them as well. 
But even that is a temporary solution. Right? Even that's just a temporary solution. Because what we need is we need someone that, we can, that can take all of our burdens. All of them. We need someone who would be willing to die to get us through the wilderness. Not someone who wants to die before taking us any further. We need a better Moses. And we have one. That's what, that's what a large part of the first book of Hebrews is about. God, I mean, think about it. The book of Hebrews is written to people who are Hebrews telling them how not to be Hebrews. And why they shouldn't be Hebrews anymore. Because Jesus is better. And so he says, Jesus is better than Abraham. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than all the other covenants. He's better than all of this. He's better than the sacrifice. He's better than the priestly system. He's better than all of it. And that's what we need. And we have one. Jesus, it's He who said in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. This is why we complain, is because our souls are not at rest. They are discontented. And then we, I love this because Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have a better Moses who said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We have a better Moses who said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Not my solution, but your solution be done. We have a better Moses who said, Father, I'll go. I'll lay down my life so that they can live. I'll go and I'll live as one of them. Dwell with them. I'll put on flesh and bone and I'll suffer death and make a way to bring them through any and all kinds of wildernesses. I'll go, Dad. And then, after I've died and I've resurrected and I've ascended, we can send the Spirit to go live within them and to comfort them and to embolden them and to strengthen them and to teach them and to guide them and to help them And they will never, ever be able to accurately say, I am alone. Because our spirit will live within them. That's our better Moses. And that is the source of our complaint. The only way that we, we get our complaint fixed is to behold the provision of God. And that is Christ. That is Christ. So, final application. Um, I read that verse, Matthew eleven twenty nine through thirty. I'm sure that some of you have heard about this. I know Josh has has heard it. But there's a book that came out this last year, or maybe in 2020, um, called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and it's called The Heart of Christ Toward Sinners and Sufferers. The premise of the book is that it's the, only, it's the only time in Scripture where Jesus talks about His heart. He talks about a lot of things, but this is the only place, only place where He describes His heart, and it's toward us. And we see it right there in the text. He goes, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And he, it's a wonderful book where he just he, he, he expounds on what some, like, some of the Puritan writers like John Owen and Richard Sibbs and guys like that, how they just take and just, they wrote a lot of stuff. Like I was in Josh's library this morning, and like there's 
John Owen, like the works of John Owen. And I was like, well, what's that other deal of John Owen over there? Because that's just what he wrote on Hebrews. It's like that many books just on Hebrews. And like, you know, when you get to a guy like that, you're like, and I'm like, okay, I don't even need to preach through that book because he's already said everything that can possibly be said about that book. I, you know, I'm not going to ever preach that. I'll just say, go read John Owen on it. Not really. I, that's not true. I just got through preaching through the book of Hebrews. I just, that was a preacherism. But the point of, that I'm trying to make about that book is that that book is a deep, deep, it has been a deep, deep encouragement to my, to my soul because it's not one of those books that, beat you over the head with all kinds of moralism like do this, do this, do this. It just says this is Jesus' heart toward you. He's such a better Savior. He's such a better mediator. He's, his grace just knows no bounds. I was over at Peyton and Kaylee's house the other night and Ruby sang a song for me and I loved it. She said, our sins, they are many. His mercies are more. That's That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He, you, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't weary of our complaint. Take them before Him and, and look at Him. Look at what He has done. And then pause. And let Him speak. Don't try to come up with your own solution. That's where you get in trouble. Let Him speak. His Spirit lives within you. He'll do that. He's given you counsel. He's given you elders. He's given you a church. He's given you His Word. Let Him speak. So, with all that said, I'm going to wrap this thing up. And I didn't ask Josh about how to wrap this thing up, but y'all have communion and the way we set it up at our church. Um, it's a time for us to do business with, with the Lord. And we don't come to the table because we are worthy in and of ourselves. We come to the table to remember what Christ has done to make, to, to make us worthy in His sight. We remember His blood that He gave for us. We remember... His body that was broken for us. And if you're not a Christian today, I want to encourage you to... um, I just want to encourage you to become one. You're not going to save yourself. You're not going to find a better Savior. Whatever it is you're looking to solve all those problems is not going to be better than what you can find in Christ. So I would encourage you to turn to Christ today. You say, well, how do I do that? Just say, Jesus, I want you. And then come talk to one of us. Come talk to Josh. Come talk to one of the elders. Come talk to me. Talk to whoever brought you here. Just have that conversation. Have a conversation with one of the elders. And let's, let's, let's welcome you and bring you into the family of God. Okay? So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'll turn it over um, to Josh and, or Chris, um, however you all do it. And then I'll, um, I'll go sit down. Okay? Jesus. You are good to us. You are so, so much better to us than we deserve. Um, God, I pray that, um, that as we um, experience those times of discontent in our lives, um, God, I know that there are some that are experiencing that right now. Lord, we're, we're, we're flawed, fallen people, and we live in a flawed, fallen world. And golly, there's so many things that we can get discontented with and we can get all bent out of shape about. God, I pray that we would bring those to you that we wouldn't just isolate from you and and approach it like we've got to figure this all out on our own. God, you sovereignly 
designed and decreed that the children of Israel go through the wilderness because you wanted to teach them to depend upon you. And God, I have to believe that you have sovereignly designed and decreed the things that we are going through as well. And we don't know all of the answers. We don't know all of your redemptive designs. But God, we do know that through our trials, through our discontent, through the things that, that these deep yearnings that we have, that by your design, it is to learn to depend upon you more. And God, you took the children of Israel through the wilderness for a long, long time. God, would you help us to realize that our promised land is not a specific church, that our promised land is not a specific amount in our retirement accounts, that our promised land is not a new school, that our promised land is not homeschooling, our promised land is not the next president, our promised land is not any of those things that we are so tempted to put our hope and trust in, but our promised land is in what you have provided, that you are the ark, you are the rest that has been provided. And that one day... You will come again for us. And we will dwell with you face to face forever. And we, we won't deal with discontent anymore. But God, in this meantime, may we, may we pause. May we trust in you. May we wait upon you. For your glory and for our deepest joy, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.